0: Welcome to Is This Working, a podcast hosted by two best friends who have honest conversations about money, careers, and success. And this week it's the season finale. And we have something a little bit different for you. I'm Tiffany Philippou, and I don't have my co-host Anna with me this week. However, I am joined by the wonderful and brilliant author and journalist Natasha Lunn. Natasha Lunn is the features director at Red Magazine and the creator of the newsletter, Conversations on Love. I've been subscribed to Conversations on Love for over three and a half years now, and I've always been such a huge fan of Natasha's work. Natasha interviews all sorts of wonderful people and collates all this incredible wisdom about all the different forms of love in our lives. And now Conversations on Love is a book which is out now and we'll put it in the show notes. And she interviews people such as Philippa Perry, S. Perel, Roxane Gay, Dolly Alderton, I mean, the list goes on. I've highlighted so many lines and sentences from the book and it really is a deep interrogation of love in all its forms. The conversation that you're about to listen to that I had with Natasha expanded my mind and went in different directions I wasn't expecting it to. And it really made me think differently about how I view love and how I view work and love And we also got thinking a little bit more about the impact of friendships and love. And we also talk about dating. So thank you to Natasha for coming on. It was a brilliant episode and on with the show. Hello, Natasha, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. I'm such a huge fan of your book, Conversations on Love. And I also, I've been reading your newsletter for a long time now. I actually went back into my emails to find out how long ago, and it was my other best friend, who's also called Anna, Anna Stedman, forwarded it to me and said, oh, you're going to love this. And that was three and a half years ago when I myself was in What I would describe as the depths of longing. Like I'd been single for a while, I was a bit lost in life, and I noticed that you dedicated your book to, you know, for anyone who feels lost in longing, which I just thought was so beautiful. And I guess it makes sense that so much of your work through conversations on love has spoken to me as I've grown the last three years and gone on that, uh, gone on that exploration myself. Um, But I was really interested to dive straight in and ask you what it's actually like when that own your own personal experience of longing and exploration becomes part of your work?
1: Well, it is work, but it's also part of just my personal quest in life to understand my feelings and why I respond to things in certain ways. So it it is work, but conversations on love is a very it began as sort of a personal therapy project of me trying to sort of shake myself out of longing and really looking at all the ways that I was lost in longing when I was trying to find a romantic relationship in my teens and twenties, sort of two decades of just longing, obsessed um, in that search. And then the parallels between longing for a baby and for a pregnancy in my thirties and understanding, oh my gosh, I spent 20 years longing for this romantic relationship and and now I found it. And yet now I'm just longing for the next thing. And how am I overlooking this love that I'm lucky enough to have just in pursuit of the next thing? So it wasn't, I didn't start it thinking this will become a big source of money or work in my life. I began it, you know, because at 3 a.m. in the morning, I'm there thinking, why am i doing this again how do i sort of trick myself out of it is this something that's going to come up again and again and what are the sort of ways that we can pull back from that intensity of longing and see the love that's already in our lives so when you say it's work it it still doesn't really feel like work to me and in the beginning i wasn't you know i really didn't think that many people would subscribe i think i had like seven subscribers for a the first the first bit and it's just friends and family and I didn't think that lots and lots of people would subscribe it was just an excuse for me to try and get these amazing people on the phone and try and figure out stuff in my own life.
0: I love that um gosh I wonder how many times I'm going to say the word love during this uh, this episode. I know it's
1: really I when I was writing the book I was the copy editor I was like there's I mean you can say connection but
0: there's not many other words it's so difficult. <laughs> Well, some listeners may be wondering how we're going to bring together the the, um, the themes around work and love. So how would you say that um, work and love do connect with each other?
1: Well, I've been thinking about this a lot because I think it's really complex because you don't want to talk about work as a source of love in a way that your job is a source of love because, as we know, your job doesn't love you back, companies are not going to be completely invested in you and caring for you in a way that, um, in a loving way, because at the end of the day, it's still trying to make money. So I came to it thinking, oh, you know, work is not love. It's really dangerous if we see work as a source of love. But I now do believe, I guess we can call it vocational love is probably a better way to describe it, um, is a big source of love in our lives or can be, for two reasons i think well f- for starters i was thinking i'm so glad we're having this conversation now because i do- i dropped my daughter off at nursery for the first time last week and i was there crying in the car park sort of spying through the trees because they're like you need to leave you can't linger because it's bad for the babies and i'm i'm sort of spying there crying thinking why am i doing this why am i leaving her like is it enough is is there enough of a reason for me to be leaving her And that really made me think, like, what is the role of work or vocation or purpose in my life? What do I get from it? Why do I need it? Because aside from the monetary thing, it is an emotional wrench for me. It doesn't feel natural. So I'm at a point in my life where I really had to sit down and think, okay, why is work so important to me? And what do I get from it? And I think it's two things. I think all of the people who I've spoken to or something that comes up again and again is that love requires separateness so it's really important in your friendships with your parents with your partner especially now you know with the baby it's a big problem a lot of women can kind of get into a relationship with the baby you know you become so obsessed and and you lose track of everything else or in a romantic relationship you kind of become so enmeshed with your partner that you let friendships drop off and you let you know you just become a twosome and shut out the other the rest of the world um and I learned that healthy relationships need you to retain your individuality and have some distance in and for me and i think a lot of other people work is a way to retain my sense of self and individuality outside of the relationships that i have with people and i know even after coming out of the fog of of early motherhood sitting down at my desk to write conversations on love it was a way of you know it was almost like i sat down and said oh there you are I was like reconnecting with myself remembering parts of me that aren't linked to being a mother or a wife or a friend or a daughter and I think that that is a really important part of your relationship with yourself and knowing yourself that also kind of ring fences your sense of self from other relationships so I think that's one way Um, but I think it's also about creating something that other people connect to and having another way of look, love is being seen and seeing and being understood and understanding and i think that you can get that through certain types of purposeful work vocational work Um a lot of the people i've spoken to in the book who are writers have spoken about writing as a form of love because they're trying to find meaning they're trying to say something true and they're trying to be understood and then other people are reading that and feeling, oh, I'm not alone. I, I'm seen by your writing. And it's Sarah Hapola describes it as like a union of souls. Um, and that's not, it was Lem Sisi actually said, that's not reserved for poetry or writing. He was like, that could be in the way you design your house, or it could be in the way you cook a meal. That sort of, I guess, purpose is a better word for it than work. Um, But yeah, it's that form of creating something that other people might connect to that could make you feel seen and them feel seen too.
0: Yeah, I I really relate to that because I write about my life. So I'm very much like communicating with people and connecting with people on that level. And um, in your book, when the author Aisha Malik said, um, she had a quote about if She had the choice between marrying the love of her life or writing. Her friend asked her, what would she choose? And she said, writing. And she said, maybe it's the love of her life because it's how she understands the human condition. And then she goes on to say, as you say, the purpose I found in the work might be the love I was seeking. And um, it's something I've been thinking about a lot because um in a way, if I had to make that choice, I'm actually not sure what choice I would make right now, mm. if I had to choose between a relationship and the work and the, this work that I do and how much I love it. Um, but I think it's interesting when you talk about work as like almost a tool for love because it can create that separateness, it can improve the relationships you have. But do we need, can we just love our work for itself? And do we need to love our work?
1: I think we would have to look at what you mean by the word work because for me there's a big difference between work that is a job that I'm doing to make money and feel secure and work that is something deeper and more purposeful that gives me a chance to um, inhabit a part of myself that is important to me so to be to be honest about what we are seeing as work is really important I think because certainly in my 20s I guess I used to believe that work was a way to value yourself so certainly in my 20s when I was really unhappily single slash dating a lot of people who didn't really care about me and having just lots of disasters in that area of my life my work was the one place where I felt I could respect myself and I felt good at it and it was a way of feeling valued. But I actually interviewed um, a compassion researcher. She's she's kind of a bit like Brené Brown, but focusing on compassion rather than Kristen Neff, than vulnerability. And she helped me see like the difference between self-esteem and self-compassion. And I think that what I had been seeking in work in a you know, in a way that I could love my work was, oh yeah, it's, I love it because it gives me self-esteem and I can feel valued in a way I'm not being in relationships. Um, but she, she made me see that when you put your value on that, it's dependent on an external thing. So if you lose your job or if actually, you know, we can't all be successful all the time. We have a good year, we have a bad year. If your work's not going that well, then you suddenly lose all value for yourself. And she helped me to see that what we should be aiming more is self-compassion, that even if you are failing at work or even if you get sacked or even if you're just having a year where things are not working out, you can still find kindness for yourself where you were at in that place. Um, So for me, I have definitely fallen into the trap of, Using work as a way to feel loved and valued, um, and now I try to divorce the two.
0: Yeah, I think it's a really. I think that's something a lot of people will relate to, um, and it's almost that cliche that people have of like single people in their twenties, like focusing on their career, um, and that's quite a um, a shallow way of putting what you've put, what you've put into words in a much deeper way where. I think all of us and I think that happened a lot during um the you know the earlier days of lockdown last year like threw ourselves into work as a escaping tool or a way to make sense and or as a way to find control as well when everything around us seemed so out of control um and I think it's interesting because it's almost okay to seek external validation through your work like we obviously celebrate promotions and all these sorts of things whereas if you were someone who just sought your validation through like men or dating or your love life that would be considered not okay and so I think there's this tension that happens between how we view how we should be at work versus in love and relationships whereas actually perhaps we should be bringing the two together a little bit more
1: and also just Not fooling ourselves into thinking that if we get that success at work, it's going to be a guarantee of happiness. I mean, I have interviewed enough successful people, especially writers, to know now that there isn't that moment where they get really successful that guarantees that they are happy and feel valued and love themselves. So I think it's about separating, you know, obviously wanting to do well and being ambitious, but separating separating that from any kind of relationship to self-love I think has definitely been important for me but I will say oh my absolute worst um thing I was told when I was single which is always by my mum who didn't work so has had like a very like stay at home look after the kids and can't doesn't really understand working motherhood and she just used to say to me all the time you work too hard you're never going to meet anyone because you work too hard and uh, that is just, that was, along with your being too fussy, that was my number one <laughs> worst worst uh, thing to be told when I was single.
0: Yeah, but I think, um, I'm not about to say there's some truth in it, but I do, I do think there's, um, I do think it is, I do think work can create the space, particularly in your 20s, where you can hide from things that are scary or things that you don't, mm. um, you don't want to confront. I've certainly been on that journey. Um, I talk about it and, um, when I was writing my memoir, I was talking about using work as a numbing technique for my uh, the grief I was going through. Um, so I think there is something where, again, it's like socially acceptable to sort of hide in that way and to use work as that place where, um, again, I think it comes back to control. I know you've talked about control quite a lot, whereas on the other side of the, th- of the things, um you're almost expected to have no control when it comes to love like that's meant to like fall from Mm. the sky whereas it's kind of okay to like throw yourself into work in a place that but actually there is no control when it comes to work either I would say not if you're working well I guess yeah
1: even if you're freelance you have to accept a level of um luck I think I think we do need to be more honest about luck and in love and in work and to kind of acknowledge, because when I write about, it's the same in work as it is in love. These things, there's so many like really tiny contradictions that it's really difficult to talk about because in with control in love, part of my um, story was really understanding that I was more in control than I <clears throat> than I had been. I wouldn't just sit here and wait for love. And, you know, it was a big deal for me to join dating apps because that felt like such a failure to me because... I had this, you know, a lot of my friends had just met at university or work. And I felt like, oh, why do I have to sort of sell myself? And they just found love easily. You know, this must mean that I'm kind of, no one wants me. I've got to like slog my own, you know, try and sell myself. Um, And now I just think that's crazy that we think we don't have to try at love when we, you know, everything else in life, especially with work, it's kind of admirable to try. But in love... It's like a stigma around trying, I think. But um, so I had to realize that I was more in control. I had to put effort into it. And also I was more responsible for the way that I was acting in relationships rather than always thinking, oh, this guy didn't love me. And, you know, I had to take responsibility for how I was idealizing them, putting them on pedestal, not really wanting to know them or thinking about how I could be a loving partner, just sort of obsessed with being loved. Um so i I had to realize I was more in control in that way, but then on the flip side, you do need a bit of luck and and when I did start online dating and I hadn't met anyone and think I would think, Oh, this means I'm too emotional, I'm too messy, I'm all these things, actually, I just you know i just hadn't I just hadn't had a bit of luck, and when I met my husband, I wasn't doing anything differently, I hadn't reached this point of real self-understanding I still was making a lot of the same mistakes um but it was just you know he lived three
0: streets down and I was on Happen and it crossed paths it was just pure luck um my friend Nicholas Lawson who writes the single supplement newspaper uh, newsletter um said uh, that yeah the narrative is like single people need to work on themselves they're a mess but she was like loads of people I know who are in relationships are all over the place it's not fair to present single people as those who uh, need to to do all this work Um, but then the flip side of it is as you said you can regain control in love and in dating in the dating arena Um, I always call it the arena because I do feel like going out on dating apps yeah and I I think (laughs) I mean, I love I love the apps in the sense that they do give you that control. Um, they in the sense that I would much rather just go on the apps and then you meet someone knowing what's what, versus like every time I'm out in a bar with friends, looking over my shoulder or having to do a bunch of hobbies where I hope men will be there. Like I think we're, that never works. Just... People always tell you that, and I think it's so. I, I completely felt the same, and
1: it's funny. A lot of people I've interviewed for the book and the newsletter, we start talking about dating and they start saying, I just think the apps are such a terrible idea. Um, You know, it's not based on authenticity. The idea that you look at pictures, it's so terrible. And then they say to me, how did you meet your husband? And I (laughs) say on an app and they're like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it, but I understand if you haven't experienced that or equally, if you have, and you've had terrible experiences, why you would think that they are a negative thing. But for me, um, it, it was such a gift just because I think I felt worse when just nothing was happening. And I just, yeah, like you say, I wasted so many other opportunities. I wouldn't enjoy my friend's wedding because I'd be thinking, Oh, who's single here? And Oh, then he'd get, you know, kiss another girl. And I feel like that was my one chance. just, just stupid stuff. Um, and it kind of just made me think, okay, well, I sort of
0: know I can probably get a date this month if I really want one. Yeah, and I think it stops you from settling as well, right? Because you're like, if this person isn't right for me, I can go on the apps and find a new person fairly quickly. Whereas if I meet someone, let's say at work, <laughs> um, and I'm like, oh, I've not met anyone in this random haphazard way for years, so I better stick with this person. I think mm. they, uh, they open up the freedom and the choice and they stop. Um, we, I think it makes us less likely to settle and I think that's actually a really valuable side of the apps that perhaps isn't talked about as much. I wish I had been as wise as you, but I think that the problem is apps or not,
1: when I met someone and I was, became infatuated with them, I'd still think, oh, I'll bend. I just want to do anything I can to keep this. You know, I would always have that fear of something ending. Even if the relationship wasn't particularly wonderful, the idea of losing it suddenly felt terrifying to me um so yeah I wish I'd been as wise as you
0: <laughs> well I think what's interesting though about the narrative around apps is um people say oh because there's loads of people on the apps people have loads of choice therefore people mm. treat people like they're disposable but most people actually when they find someone they like via the apps do want to hold on to that like when you meet anyone um pressure, you see it as precious even though in theory you could go out and find new people so I think there's also that misconception that people obviously there are people who are just players and they'll always be that way and we can just separate those people but you know there's that misconception that because there's the illusion of choice people don't have that fear but I think when people do meet someone special um, they do want to hold on to them and they do have that fear um, but yeah as you said sometimes it might not be for the right person um, but again like as you you know, when people do meet someone really special, I think they do want to hold on to them and they appreciate how precious that is, even though there's like this illusion of so many other people out there. Are you on the apps at the moment? Um no, I'm sort of I'm in a new I'd say a new relationship, I would say. Okay. Um and um but I have had a lot of experience on the apps, which have broadly been um positive, I would say. Oh but that's what, good. But I mean uh, I think it's about because I know you talk about this in your book. You had um, you had an interview where it was about it was about reframing your longing and like the oh. mindset, um, and that's something that I found a lot of happiness in life through doing is to reframe all these different experiences that we have. So with um, dating, for example, there's yes, it is really hard. I call it the arena on purpose, like you're entering the arena. And it does feel like when you have a setback, you've um, been beaten up and have to go back into the boxing ring. Like it it does feel that way. But I always just wonder like, why should it be easy? Mm. (laughs) It's the most important thing um, to me anyway, like relationships, the people in your life. Why should finding love be easier for me than say like getting a book deal? Like, why should it be so, why should it be easy? um so again as you said earlier there's that stigma around like love love should be come easily to us but actually it requires a lot of work and
1: actually when i started seeing it in that way and thinking you know i guess not being embarrassed to try at love even coming out and saying i want a relationship felt um difficult at that time because a lot of the narratives around being single were that you need to be independent go on solo holidays live on your own be happy with your solo life and i knew that i wanted a romantic relationship and so i felt embarrassed that i felt sad about not finding one um and now i understand that it is very courageous to hope and to be honest about wanting love um it it makes you strong it doesn't make you weak but It's about looking for that love without thinking that it's the only thing that will make you happy. That's the tricky part of that. But so once I felt more comfortable with trying, it was almost good practice because then when you do find a romantic relationship or equally a friendship or sibling relationship, it takes a lot of work to sustain it um, every day. So you're right. The fact that we think finding it is easy is crazy and also that being in it is somehow easy because it takes just as much work to sustain those relationships as it did to find them in my case and I would say I do know a lot of people who found it much easier to find romantic love than I had certainly I write in um, the beginning of the book I just have friends who just would start a relationship if it didn't work out, they'd then meet someone the next month. They just It was just so easy for them to almost get into a relationship, find another one. And for me, it was such a kind of wrestling match every time. It was such an anxious experience at the beginning. And I just, I found it took a really long time to even meet someone. And, and then it was just always like a battle. Um, but now that has made me more grateful for the love that I do have today. And obviously there's no way of knowing how it would have turned out if I had met someone much younger, but I feel that the struggle has made my relationship richer now.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And the thing I also say about um, dating, cause I've had that as well. I'm like, why is it so much harder for me than for everyone else? Like, why me? Like, um, mm. but as often I hear on people who have been through a lot of difficulty in life. It's like, why not me? Is the other way, the mm. other question you could ask. Um, but I, and what, also,
1: go on. So, and also I, I, I really understand now in a way that well, it took me a long time to understand that if I had had my way and I would have met someone at a really young age and had a family younger and probably be living by the sea with a dog, um, and not have had any of the, you know, not have had a miscarriage and <clears throat> not have um, struggled to get pregnant. You know, all the things that have happened that I at the time was wrestling with and so and just wanted to change now have made my current reality more beautiful than the fantasy version of life that I could have written. And it, it's the same way in friendships when you have been through a breakup with a friend or you know you have had many many layers to your relationships that include suffering and seeing them lose a parent or all these layers you get to a stage where you look at your friend and you feel the depth of that and it's so special and if you had a really easy time and neither of you had any had any difficulties you wouldn't have that all those layers in your relationship so I try now when something doesn't go my way to understand that that will make the whole um more beautiful really that sounds cringy but it 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 doesn't sound cringy to me I
0: love that sort of uh (laughs) that way of thinking and um I believe that all hardships and setbacks in life come with their own gifts and meaning um and can often fuel a lot of our purpose so um I'm a huge fan of that way of thinking and
1: I think you have to be careful because of course I've had people write to me who you know, one person whose sister was killed in a drunk driving accident, you know, senseless. And to say, oh, there's a gift in that, it's, it's a delicate um, way that we have to talk about it because, of course, you want to take back something like that. There's no meaning that will ever replace that loss. But I have been continually surprised by ways in which people I've interviewed um, have been opened up by difficult things that have happened to them and have found opportunities for love and connection that don't replace what they've lost, but are um, a different source of meaning. And it's it just made me hopeful every time I hear somebody who's managed to find um, more love in a place where they, where they might have thought they lost it.
0: podcast, you may also enjoy the Writers Co-op, hosted by Wudan Yan and Jenny Gritters. The Writers Co-op focuses on what it's like to run a freelance business of your own, and Writers Wudan and Jenny are candid about talking about freelance pay, contracts, saying
2: no to work, and more. This season, every episode features a live coaching session with freelancers. The goal is to dig into issues like imposter syndrome, developing confidence, choosing between freelancing and a full-time job, money mindsets, finding balance in work and life, and so much more. You can listen anywhere you find your podcasts.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. It's very, one has to be careful, particularly with regards to grief about how we talk about um, these things because you don't want to verge into that positive thinking territory um but in my own experience of grief so I had a boyfriend that died when I was 20 by suicide I have written a book about it and I found a huge amount of meaning and purpose driven from this experience that I had with regard to being able to tell my story and maybe help others with their own experience of shame around suicide and things like that but that's a very personal um a personal experience of finding the meaning and purpose out of something so horrific um Mm. but there is something I hadn't actually planned to talk about this but I'm keen to discuss maybe grief with you because um Mm. grief grief exists because love was is was present um and what I think is really interesting about grief is if I'm just to think about one of the other greatest hardships I've experienced was when I was fired from my job and that for me felt a lot like the experiences of my own person, of, of the grief when someone had died. And again, just thinking about how we think about love and relationships versus work. And yeah, I just think it's interesting that it, was I grieving a love for my work that had lost or an identity, I'm not really sure, but I think it's a it's a funny one to think about.
1: Can I ask how losing your, well, you know I I I asked Greg Wise how it felt to lose his sister and he said to me I didn't lose her she, she didn't she didn't kind of we didn't lose each other she died and cuz he he feels like he still has her and so he felt like the word losing is unhelpful um but after your boyfriend's death how did that change how you understood or felt about love has that informed the way you see love now
0: um I guess, um, yeah, I think. Well, it's maybe quite terrified of love, to be honest. To be blunt, mm. <laughs> um mm. and I think I'm actually going to write about this quite soon, um because as I mentioned, I'm in this sort of new. See, so even I can't even articulate it confidently, but like, no, I'm sorry to put you on the spot. Um, just, it's, it's interesting. No, no. So I think. Um, so my first experience of love as a 20-year-old came with a huge amount of pain and heartbreak. Um, so my early understanding of love was in the context of, well, I guess that's romantic love, because obviously I had love of friendships and families um, and people around me. And I guess it took me a whole decade to, this is what your work talks about, find love in other places. Um, mm. But romantic love-wise, uh, yeah, my first experience of it was um Because I I guess, you know, when you're young and you like fall in love and it's like your university boyfriend and blah, blah, blah. But when you experience uh, the death, so love in the context of grief, it's so unbelievably painful and horrific. Um, And so I guess there's an association with that sort of love with something very painful. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think it's made me terrified of love. And I think that... um, I have to just be aware of that and just think about that and just see how it plays out. Um, but there's something there's something about your work and what you do. I, I am obsessed with love basically. So maybe it's shaped that as well, right? Maybe I'm also going on that journey and wanting to engage with all these incredible interviews you've had that's really expanded my thinking. So I'm like, obviously there's something about that experience of love that I had. Um, and I refer to my book as sometimes as like the lo- a love story where the person dies. There's something, um, something's attracted me to that exploration in the work that you do. So obviously I've, I, it's, it's made me quite obsessed with love and understanding love. So I think that's very interesting as well. Um, well, it's easy. Um, it's easier to become obsessed with
1: what we lack or have lost or don't have. Mm -hmm. Um, And perhaps, obviously, yours is on a much deeper scale. But I think for me, the reason that I became so obsessed with... I use the word love. It wasn't really love. It was infatuation. So what I thought was love um, is because I just always felt like it was the one area of life that I could never have or find. Um, And that in my job and with my friends and with my family, I felt really comfortable and confident and with in love I just found it so difficult to be myself um, and it was just always the thing that I never had and I thought I would never have and um, so a, a big part of it as well is to try and flip that and say we should also obsess is the wrong word but we should also have focus on love when we have it not only when we lose it or when we lack it or when we're searching for it. Um, which is far more difficult to kind of keep getting your attention back onto what you have rather than what you lack.
0: That's one of the things I love about your work is you talk a lot about friendships and love within friendships. And that's a big topic that I just love exploring, like how it's not talked about enough, the level of love that exists in friendships.
1: Mm and And actually, a psychologist so into the other day was talking about when you're a therapist, you ask people what their what their family relationships are what their ex romantic relationships are so that they can start to piece together who this person is and she said really, we should be asking people to list their friendships and their friendship breakups or, or their history there because that's equally as defining uh, defining relationships, but it's not because we don't have that kind of formal structure for it in society. Um, They don't, they don't take it on those intake forms.
0: Yeah, definitely. And like definitely friendship arguments or breakups can cause us so much heartbreak and pain and they're just not given that same value. Um, And also, yeah, I guess people should talk about that. This is like what we were saying earlier about how love takes work, like how much work it takes to maintain and, um, develop your friendships especially as you get older and people's lives diverge
1: and how painful they are
0: because I really
1: wanted I guess I had seen a lot of um discussion around friendships and certainly I had been pitched a lot of stories it's like the romance of female friendships um you know this friendships are love stories too and and obviously they are and that has that has been a big part of the book. But I equally, I was like, if I'm taking friendship as seriously as I am romantic love, I also need to be honest about how difficult those relationships can be. Um, particularly as I'm now in my late, moving into my, I'm in my late 30s. Um, friendships are not as easy and natural and consistent as they were in my 20s or even early 30s. Now that there's a lot more distance and space between us. So a big you know, a lot of people I've spoken to have said, I don't want it to be this way, but friendship has been the thing that's dropped off. Like Jude Kelly said to me, she, obviously she said, when you're an activist and you're a mother and you're a partner, there there just isn't room for friendship in her life or isn't room for as much time devoted to friendship as she would like. And the author, Sarah Collins, has said to me recently, she feels um, a real sadness about the fact that because she's writing and a mother and a partner... You know, when she disappears into writing a novel, she, she doesn't have space to see friends. You know, I'm sure you know when you're writing a book, you almost have to shut yourself off and say, I'll see you in three months. Um, but when I interviewed this um, same psychotherapist, Charlotte Fox Weber, recently, she said, we do have to decide sometimes to say friendship is as important as having a glass of water or having a meal like it can't always be the thing that falls we sometimes have to you know she said there was a moment where she decided seeing her friend was more important than seeing her daughter or seeing her husband and I think that we don't do that enough um and I've been trying to do that a lot more she also said just even like sending a placeholder to a friend is really important so even if you can't be there say you know my daughter was sick like I had to cancel this podcast earlier and i had to cancel two dates with friends that i'd spent like months trying to wrangle into the diary and i just oh i was like it killed me to be like i'm i'm letting these friends down but i just am making much more of an effort to send a message and say i'm really sad i'm not seeing you this week but i'm thinking about you i saw this um moisturizer that me and my friend used to use at university i just sent her a picture i was like saw this i'm thinking of you I'm so sad we can't see each other this summer but I'm really looking forward to autumn just I think finding ways to force that contact into those relationships um, is important because we don't have the kind of you know when you don't live together anymore there's not that natural consistency so you sort of have to force the consistency more I think.
0: Yeah absolutely Um, and I'm in that time period I'm 33 where some people are having babies some people are leaving London like everyone's lives are diverging and yet it's sort of considered okay to prioritize like work or romantic or all these other things um yeah. above friendships but actually when we look back on our lives I imagine that I mean I'll certainly know my closest friends a lot longer than any partner I end up with um and I'll certainly look back on my life and consider how important my friendships are and so it's definitely something I personally want to not let slide but easier said than done
1: and also I think I used to see that conversation in the context of being single so I would think I shouldn't put all my obsession onto finding romantic love it's important to understand you know friendship's important to family but now I understand you know I was thinking of it in that way so I'm not lonely So I would think I've got to prioritize all these forms of love so I'm not lonely. But now I understand that being in relationships, that is just as important. You can't be in a romantic relationship and put all your expectations onto that person. You know, now there's certainly a way, like my um, husband is not remotely interested in like the media world or writing. Um, But maybe in my writing, but I wouldn't sit down with him and have a conversation about Esther Perel's latest book, for instance. Um, Or I don't know where I'm going to take my newsletter in five years time. But my friend Marisa really knows and understands that part of me. So I don't need him to be that person because she's that person who sees that side of me. And we have a relationship that really overlaps in that world. So... I think it makes all of your relationships richer if you um, just have lots of different people who see those different parts of you. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I just feel we need to talk more about how that is important when you're in a relationship, not just when you're looking for one.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because I've been um, on and off broadly single for the later half of my twenties and um I used to actively befriend other single women because we were going through the same thing and a lot of my other friends were in relationships. And it is always slightly painful when they meet someone and then they're just less available mm. for you. Um, and I have a lot of single friendships still and I'm grappling with uh, perhaps a shift in my own personal life where, um, and, but I don't want to let go of that. Identity is the wrong word, but. I don't want to let go of the richness and the depth of those friendships. Like I still want to be part of like the, the single experience. I don't just want to like suddenly disappear and not be available on the weekends. And it's something that I'm thinking about a lot right now. And I think there's this real, it's like nuance, isn't it? Because there's that thing, as you said, where, Oh, single people should have loads of friends to fill their time till they find someone. But actually what you're saying is, keep, maintain these, this life of meaning that you've built because it will actually make your life and your relationship richer. And I think that's a really important thing for people to hear. Um, yeah, And and also um, a relationship coach called Susan
1: Quilliam said to me, she said of all the problems she sees in couples therapy, many, many different problems, what underlies all of them is when people lose that unconscious balance between I and we so I was similar to you in terms of I had built a very full single life and when I started a romantic relationship I had to relinquish some of that in order to make space for the we because she said if you're if you're being too independent and you're not sh- kind of sharing your life and you're you know not thinking what's their perspective on this argument or taking their feelings into account when you're making decisions. You know, there's a big part of relationship where you do have to think as we, but you also need to think as I so that you don't get so close that you start being unkind to each other and resenting each other. Um, And that balance is behind almost every challenge that you'll come up against as a couple. Um, And certainly, I felt that way in friendships too when it becomes too enmeshed and you know if you ever have a friend where it's like you're when you're younger it's that best friend and you become so intensely tied together that you don't have space for your own identity and you feel a bit maybe claustrophobic in that relationship it's this or or if you make a new friend you know they might get possessive over it. all that stuff when you become too too close i think that that can be an issue there as well so i have that in my head all the time balancing we and I trying to think when do I need to prioritize my relationship and be think of we and when do I need to really rink fence that
0: time away from it. Yeah. Um I think what we keep talking coming back to is like love is almost like the the center of our lives and then we have these different 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 parts of ourselves and our lives that can feed into that central love that we feel. Um and to bring it back to work I guess um is work can play a really important part in fueling the love that we live in our lives whether it's like self-love or the relationships we have with people I used to think that and I was challenged on this and
1: now I do see it differently um because I interviewed I guess there were two interviews that changed my mind on this One is Heather Havrileski, who writes the Ask Polly agony outcome, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Huge fan. And she said to me, she now believes that love will be more or less important at different times in life. And if you are a woman who is going to have a child and is going to get married, in those early years of marriage or when you're having a child she said love is very important then because it has to be it for, in order for you to survive that period you know you need to put all your focus on love but she now has got to a point I think she's in her 50s um, 40s or 50s where she feels that there is a defining energy in her life that is not related to love at all and she also loves love and she said like I'll be searching for love in the old people's home you know if her husband's gone but her writing and her imagination and her creativity is at the moment the defining center and her work is where her energy is at the moment and i feel i have always been looking you know coming on this podcast i was like okay what do i feel about love and work where are they ranked how do they link and i much more understand now that like love and work are very fluid experiences And that some points of our life we will need to, you know. I criticize the time in my 20s when I, my job was my life or whatever, but maybe there was a part of me that needed to throw everything into work just to sort of pour some energy into something else other than these terrible relationships I was in at the time. Um, And I think that perhaps the definition of happiness for me is being able to really honestly tune into how I feel and where I am at that particular point in my life and where I need to prioritize and what I need to compromise on. So she did make me understand that there's sometimes where love isn't the center of our lives and, and maybe it is work um, or purpose or vocation or something else. And then the other interview was um, Lucy Kalanithi, who's the um, widow of the writer of When Breath Becomes Air. And, um, His book was all about dying and coming to terms with that and deciding to have a daughter with her, even though he knew he wasn't going to be there to see her grow up. And when I first read the book, I thought, oh, this is about how love is the most important thing that matters. Um, And, you know, I I put it down and like kissed Dan and I thought, you know, I appreciate you. I'm going to treasure blah, blah, blah. And when I interviewed her, she said, that's not what the book is about. It's really about the fact that meaning in life comes from, yes, love, but also from finding resilience through suffering. So, you know, like what you've been through, those raw tender periods of time in our lives um, and how we find resilience and find hope in that place is for her what life is all about. And then the third thing was um, trying to find meaning. So as her husband was approaching death, he was really trying to think, what is meaningful in life? Why are we here? You know, all those big existential questions. And so for her, that was the three things. It was love, resilience through suffering, and trying to find meaning. And I now understand that, yes, love is a really, really big, important part of life, but it's not the only piece that we should care about.
0: Wow, I thought I I had highlighted all the wisdom from all your interviews, and yet you're still teaching me <laughs> more um, to think about. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of meaning to be found through our work, through our relationships, through love. And I think that the message that I'm hearing is around taking this holistic view and considering how they all, um, they all play into each other. And as you, did you say success for you was deciding where to place the energy at certain times? I guess not success. I I think happiness, happiness Okay.
1: for me now is, is looking at myself honestly and being kind about whatever I find there so really looking at how i'm feeling and where those feelings are coming from and what i want and what i hope for and what i'm scared of and not trying to change or fix or wrestle those things being a bit more peaceful about where i am at and you know that might be you know there's a point where i write about um where i thought i was miscarrying again and sort of finding blood in my knickers in the loo and just kind of giving myself over to the fact that I was going to miscarry or I wasn't and that I would find a way through whatever the outcome was and rather than I don't know just trying to fix it or change it or stop it or prevent it just being a little bit more peaceful with circumstance and yeah being being honest with myself about where I'm at and then being peaceful and hopeful with whatever I find there is, is for me, happiness now. And I think it was, um, yeah, again, it was Heather Havrileski. She said, she talked about it. And this is one of my favorite parts of the book. She talked about, um, her husband moaning about his back and how she doesn't moan about her neck. So she could say, oh, I'm so tough, I don't complain, why do you complain? She said, you can't, you can't say to another person, why don't you do it like I do it? Being in a relationship is saying, I will take this person's flaws, quirks, grumblings about their neck and understand that it is part of their world and universe. And that that is more beautiful and meaningful than a perfect person who never complains about anything, who never has work problems, who never is insecure. And she compares that to the whole of life in that taking, looking at your life and seeing it for all its quirks and flaws and missteps and insecurities and and messes. And understanding that that whole picture is more beautiful than a perfect, pristine, spotless life is what it means to be happy, I think. And I I try to think about that all the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really beautiful and poignant note to end on. Um, Thank you so much, Natasha. Um, As everyone can tell, I'm a huge fan of the book, uh, Conversations on Love, and everyone needs to buy it. Um, Where can people find you? So um, they
1: can find me on Instagram at conversations underscore on underscore love. And and there's a link there where you can subscribe to the newsletter um, and pre-order conversations on love if you wanted to
0: and i'm very excited to read your book sounds amazing (laughs) thank you thank you so much for coming on the show this has been a really special conversation and yeah i hope we get to speak again soon yeah thank you so much
1: that was um that was lots of fun Bye. bye bye
2: Are listening to is this working hosted by anna Rado and tiffany Philippou, produced by chris bannister please like and subscribe and you can find us in all of your favorite podcasting apps and also just a quick note before we go to let you know that we are now giving talks at companies so if you would like to hear us live at your workplace email us at is show at gmail.com And we will send you something that you can pass along to your head of people or HR department. Thanks very much.